0: That was an in-house production done by Katie Morario and Emma Shreve and our video department. Wasn't that phenomenal to help us just conclude this series? Well done. Well done. Well, good morning. My name is Jeff Hughes and I serve as the Connections pastor here at UC and I'm so thrilled to bring this message today. We are concluding our series called Rest, uh, Studying the Sabbath. And I need to just start this message with a confession. I hope that's okay. I don't know if this is the appropriate time and place for that, but they gave me the microphone, and so I guess I can do anything that I want. So here it is. I, I actually caught myself this week. I was driving down McGalliard. It was noon. Rush hour traffic in Muncie. You can imagine it, cars whizzing everywhere. I had picked up my favorite chicken nugget basket from from uh, our our famous Chick-fil-A, which is not open today. So if you get hungry, not happening. But I had picked up my eight-count honey mustard open. I'm eating these as fast as I can, racing down McGalliard to get back here because I knew I had a full agenda on my plate for that afternoon. Only to realize that as soon as I made it to my office, the very first thing that I had on my agenda that afternoon is to create the message notes that are in your hand right now on this message called How to Slow In a world of go, God has a sick sense of humor, doesn't He? Especially when it comes to messages on slowing down and time management and the hectic bustle of life. And so, obviously, I am not qualified to preach this message today. And so, we are going to allow Jesus to preach it, only we're going to let Him use my mouth. It's going to be a really, really cool thing. Uh, if you will, make your way to Matthew chapter 11, verse 25, I want to look at some famous words of Jesus together. We'll project these on the screen, and I invite you to stand as you're able for the reading of God's word. This is Matthew 11:25 25 to 30. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children, Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And verse 28, the most significant for us, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls." For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I want you to touch two or three people on the hand on the back. Say, I need to slow in a world of go. And then make your way to your seats, if you will. <clears throat> we live in a busy, fast-paced, hectic world, don't we? I don't have to remind you of that. We're moving from appointment to appointment, and life just moves by so fast. A Tahoma, Washington newspaper carried the story of Tattoo the Basset Hound a few years ago, and in case you missed it, let me remind you what happened. Tattoo the Basset Hound did not intend to go for an evening run that night, only his leash got trapped in the car door as his owner left to go run some errands, yeah, Motorcycle officer Terry Filbert noticed a passing vehicle with something dragging and skipping behind it. He commented that the poor Basset hound was picking up his feet and putting them down as fast as he could. Well, he chased the car to a stop and Tattoo was rescued. But not before the dog had reached top speeds of 25 miles an hour, rolling over several times, picking up and putting down his feet as fast as he could. Do you ever feel like the life of tattoo the basset hound in that moment describes where we are right now i mean we're just blazing through life feet up feet down sometimes we're even trapped in something like the leash in that door and we're just pulled through life not even sure where we're going right ups downs and and here we go i know you can probably relate to tattoo the basset hound i know i can well let's take a group quiz and see how we finish these sentences together this is church but feel free to yell the answer out loud complete these sentences I'm ready to throw in the towel I'm at the end of my you're two for two my life is falling apart I'm at my wits end I feel like resigning from the human race well you did great I don't know what that says about you but you're good Apparently, we are all very well versed in experiencing the rat race of life. Just when you thought you were getting ahead, you realize that along come faster rats, and at the end of the life rat race, we realize something about ourselves. We're still a rat. Time magazine noted back in the 60s expert testimony was given at a Senate subcommittee on time management. Apparently, that exists. They predicted that advances in technology would radically change how many hours people worked in a week. And they forecasted that the average American would be working only 22 hours a week 20 years later. Now, this was in the 60s when they predicted this. So, question, over 50 years later after major advances in technology, how many of you caught yourself this week wondering, gee, what am I going to do with all this extra time? No, me neither. We have become the world of the Red Queen of Alice in Wonderland, who maybe you're not familiar with, said this. Now here you see it takes all the running you can do to keep in the same place. If you want to get somewhere, you have to run twice as fast. Yeah, it's true. We feel that way. I don't know if your life feels like you're just putting one foot in front of the other, but you're really running in place Life is passing you by. Before you know it, it's the new year, and then it's three months later, and we wonder about our resolutions. We need to learn how to experience rest, don't we? But if all we needed was physical rest, couldn't we just take a nap? And I know some of us with young children, you would have to make some arrangements for that, but a nap or maybe even just an early bedtime could solve physical rest, but that's not it. If all we needed was emotional rest, couldn't we just escape Muncie for the months of February and March like our good friends who winter in Florida? Uh, losers, I don't know what to think about them. But perhaps what we really need are spiritual rest. Deep down inside, this longing in our souls to connect with something greater than ourselves. It's not physical, it's not emotional, but it's spiritual. So how can we actually obtain that relief, and is it even possible for us to do so? Well, I believe that the more things change, the more they actually stay the same, which is why these words written from Jesus and Matthew over 2,000 years ago have great application to our life, and let's look at them a little closer. If you want to slow in a world of go, the first thought is come to me. Here's Jesus saying, come to me. If you have your outline, fill that in the blank, or you can open the Union Chapel app and just click on sermon notes and even email that to yourself when you're done. But come to me. Jesus regularly invited people to come to him. Now, notice what Jesus did not say. He did not say, uh, come to church and find rest. No, because a personal relationship with Christ is what is in order. The same way going to McDonald's doesn't make you a hamburger, standing in a garage doesn't make you a car, sitting here doesn't make you a Christian, right? You've heard that before. It's about a personal relationship with Jesus. It's about knowing him. You see, you can gather all the information you want about Jesus and still not know him. You can even sit in church or in a small group or you can serve and you can be involved, but you can be far from Jesus. There can be a major gap between where he is and where you are. You see, coming to Jesus and becoming a Christian is through the choice of answering that invitation to allow Jesus to to help you turn away from yourself and turn towards himself. And when you do this, you'll find that Jesus has been waiting with arms wide open, ready, saying all along, come to me. Perhaps that's the step that you need to take before you even leave this place this morning. People have been doing that all weekend. It's been a phenomenal thing. People turning from themselves and turning towards Jesus, hearing this call to come to me, knowing that his invitation is a come one, come all. Everyone is invited, no matter your past, no matter your current situation. You may say, oh, well, you don't know me, you don't understand my situation. God knows. And he still sent Jesus Christ to pay the penalty for your sins. In John 6 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. So how is your soul? John Wesley, the founder of United Methodist Church, said, how is your soul? Is it well with your soul? Is your soul hungry today? You know, our stomachs have a way of telling us that we're hungry. They growl, they get all in fits, and they say, feed me, right? But our souls, sometimes we have to examine a little closer. I would imagine there are some hungry souls in this place here this morning. In John chapter 7, verses 37 and 38, we see these words. If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture says, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. That's phenomenal. Did you know that not only is your soul hungry, but your soul is thirsty, Imagine yourself out in a desert. You're, you're dry, you're thirsty, you're weary, you need water. And in the same way, our souls thirst for a relationship with Jesus. They thirst to know God and have relationship with him by coming to him. In John 5, 39 and 40, it says, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is these that bear witness of me and you are unwilling to come to me that you may have life. You see, the scriptures are full of information. But information without application to our lives, without relationship, leaves us wanting. The search to satisfy our needs on our own is a long and deserted, empty road. Instead, Jesus is saying in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Does the word weary describe you? I was praying about this message over the last couple weeks and diving into what text to use. and, And as I was praying for you, God put on my heart this phrase the people are weary. The people are tired. Busy, full calendars, voices all around us that drowned out the still small voice of our Creator. Are you weary and tired today? There's a place to find rest. Come to me and you will find rest. So I dug into this word weary a little bit more and and looked at the Greek translation of the word, and it actually translates exhausting labor. Okay, now, yeah, now we're getting somewhere. Okay, weary, tired, exhausting labor. This is labor until you're worn out, until you've physically given all that you have. You are depleted, you are exhausted. I won't ask you to raise your hand if that describes your life in any way. My hunch is at some level you're weary, that at some level your soul is hungry and thirsty, that you are before God today weary and tired. So we go through life weary and tired and, and worn out at the end of our rope as we finish that sentence. And the English Standard Version of Matthew eleven twenty eight says it this way, "'Come to me, all who labor,' and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So now it's not just tired, now it's laboring. Now it's being tired and also being heavy laden. But what does heavy laden mean? When you look at this, heavy laden means to have outside pressures put upon us. Imagine one of those machines that crushes cars or that shreds paper. It's an outward external force that's putting pressure on you. And there's only so much pressure until we implode, right? Heavy laden means to have something externally placed on you, weighing you down. And so you're already tired, creating this sense of desperation for some relief. We're tired people, we're overworked people, and it's drowned out the voice of God. We already have more on us than we can bear. But in this moment, Jesus Christ says to us, Come to me. That's good news. It sure is a simple answer to a hard problem, isn't it? You know, we have these challenges in our life. We're weary, we're heavy laden, we're burdened. And here's Jesus saying, come to me. And here's something that I've discovered about rest, something that I've discovered about coming to Jesus. The invitation and your response to come to Jesus The distance between those will actually let you know exactly how tired you are. What I mean by that is this there's a gap between Jesus' invitation over here and us being tired and laying down our burdens to Jesus. That gap between those two things, that distance between them, will reveal exactly how tired and weary and burdensome we are. You're tired. you're not tired and there's a difference because Jesus says come to me so a question have you had enough of going through life on your own our response to Jesus's come to me tells everything in your bulletin there's a full-size blue sheet of paper go ahead and grab that if you will We're not going to have a paper airplane contest or let you uh, boo me off the stage by throwing those up here. But grab a pen. And I want to encourage you right now and through the rest of this message. I want you to write on this blue page anything in your life that is making you weary. Anything in your life that is making you tired, burdensome. Anything that's weighing you down. If you don't have a pen with you, grab your cell phone and open up a blank note tab there and just write in that. You can do the same thing we're going to do in in just a moment at the end of this service. As you're doing that, let me ask you this. How many of you have had this sickness that's going around plague your household at some level? Over the last month, oh, my gosh, it's been awful. And I learned something about being sick, not just personally, but through uh, a lot of my friends and family who've been sick. I learned that, you know, a person will often not be feeling well. They'll go to the medicine cabinet, open it up grab a Tylenol, aspirin, ibuprofen, something out of there, take that, and that just doesn't do the trick. That just doesn't help them. So they'll run down McGalliard, hopefully not at noon, and head into Walgreens, head into CVS, they'll get an over-the-counter medicine, cough syrup, something, to help them get over this situation. Only this doesn't work. Now get this next thought. The delay between your attempt to try a home remedy And over-the-counter medicines to help cure your ailment and the time it takes for you to pick up the phone and call a doctor will reveal exactly how sick you really are. But so many times in our life, we, we worry, we hold these burdens, we hold these things that are heavy on our hearts and in our lives. And we're afraid to come to the great physician with these things. So instead, we try everything in the world that we can, except for one thing, which just so happens to be the one thing that we really need to do, right? So we've tried everything except for bringing it to Jesus. So you call a doctor usually because nothing has worked. All attempts to feel better didn't work, so you come to the doctor. The reason you come to the doctor is he has information that's beyond your scope of knowledge, He has equipment that is beyond your ability to diagnose. He has training and understanding and experience that is beyond you. And so you pick up the phone, you call the doctor because your human ingenuity and ability to resourcefully make yourself well will not work. And friends, we do the same thing in our lives with God. We do the same thing in desiring to come to Jesus, knowing we need to do that, but putting it off as far as we can, as long as we can. Well, today, Jesus is waiting, still saying, come to me. Come to me. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 goes on and says this, come to me and I will give you rest. You know, there are some people who think of rest and think they just need to take a breath. They just need to slow down. They just need a vacation. But there are many who need rest. They need to take a break from trying to earn God's love. I don't know if you know this or not, but there are sincere, well-meaning, conscientious people who are actually trying to balance the scales of their good deeds and their bad deeds to be accepted by God. And it cannot be done. It can't be done. And I don't know if you struggle with this or not, but those who do will realize two things. The first is this. It is impossible to know what your account balance is of your good deeds and your bad deeds. There's no bank account that you can go to, put an ATM card in there of good deeds and bad deeds, and then it'll pop out a receipt that says, paint your neighbor's house, mow this person's yard, pick up some trash, and now you're going to be back level. Better yet, your good deeds will actually tip the bad deeds scale. No, you can't do that. The second thing that you'll realize is even if you could see an account balance of your good deeds and your bad deeds, you would have no way to pay for your failures that would be acceptable to God. Because even the best human effort will fall short of the standard that God requires. That's why I'm so thankful for the cross. You know, we just started Lent this week, leading up to Easter leading up to Good Friday, leading up to this journey to the cross. And I'm so thankful for the cross. And we find something significant here. I want to put it on the screen for you. The cross is the place where what I am is placed on him and where what he is is freely given to me. Some people misunderstand what the cross is all about. It's this. It's where what I am is exchanged for what Jesus Christ is. My bad deeds, my sins are blotted away. They are removed and placed on Jesus. And I can rest in his perfect deeds that are credited to my account. Maybe the rest you need today is a spiritual rest that comes in the place of realizing your complete need for Jesus. And surrendering all you have to him. Maybe you've staggered under the heavy weight and burden of sin For so long, living for prestige, living for possessions, pleasure, and power for so long. But today is the moment to say, I give up. I surrender. I want to come to you. The good news is that Jesus Christ has given his life in exchange for yours. And he's calling you to slow down. He's calling you to rest, to be at peace, to stop living the rat race and surrender your life To Jesus. So our first point in this message of how to slow in a world of go is to come to Jesus. And the second one is to take my yoke. You're looking for the word yoke in that blank. Now, we're not talking about eggs here. A yoke is a harness that connects a pair of oxen. And most likely you already knew that. In fact, a pair of oxen is typically referred to as a yoke of oxen. How cool. This term was used metaphorically throughout the New Testament to describe uh, being put under the submission of a teacher. You would carry their yoke to take the yoke of a specific rabbi. The word yoke is used six times in the New Testament, and it has two main ideas. The first is the yoke of rules and religion, and the second is the yoke of relationship. Now, Acts fifteen seven to eleven spells out the yoke of following the rules. And a religious system in order to be accepted by God. But this is not the my yoke that Jesus is talking about. In fact, Jesus said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. It is well fitted. You know, Jesus' yoke is easy compared to man-made religious yokes. His burden is light compared to the burden of human effort. And there is no rest in rules and religion, none. But there is rest in a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you've been living the wrong way, carrying the wrong yoke. Maybe you've been going through life under this burden of the yoke of religion and rules. And and what you need to hear today is lay all that down. That is actually the burden that you need to lay down today. And you need to exchange that for the yoke of relationship, to be yoked with Jesus. I love the three things we see about a yoke. The first is connection. The connection point tells us to be with me. This is the idea that a yoke is made for two, not one. And Jesus wants to be yoked with you. The second is direction. This is the follow me. The idea of a yoke pictures moving forward. It's connection together. You see, you cannot be yoked to Jesus and go your own way. You must go the way of Jesus. The third is cooperation. This is the, the work with me. So before we're yoked with Jesus, we can go our, our own way. We can see life as a physical thing here on this side of eternity. But now that we're joined in his work, we must think with a bigger perspective. Because cooperation says, work with me, make an eternal impact with me. And what I love is these are all things that Jesus is saying to us. I love what J.H. Jowett summarized this thought, saying it this way, the fatal mistake for the believer is to seek to bear life's load in a single collar. God never intended man to carry his burden alone. Christ therefore deals only in yokes. A yoke is a neck harness for two. And the Lord Himself pleads to be one of the two. He wants to share the labor of any galling task. In fact, and get this the secret to peace and victory in the Christian life is found in putting off the taxing collar of self and accepting the master's call to the relaxing yoke. It's good stuff. So, in order to slow in a world of go, we must come to Jesus, come to me. We must take his yoke. And the third and last point is we should learn from me. Learn from me. So question, are you open to learning from Jesus? I hope you are. When we come to Jesus, we take up his yoke, and the process of learning should begin for us. So what should we learn? We should learn to become more like Jesus. How about gentleness? That's what we see in our passage today. You know, some people hear the word gentleness, and they think of weakness, weakness. But gentleness is actually defined as strength under control. And Jesus is the best example here. Religious people, sometimes we don't do gentleness so well, do we? In fact, sometimes the words cold and harsh describe religious folks a little bit more. But not so with Jesus. His gentleness draws us to him. And his love for us allows us to lay down our burdens, to lay down our cares at his feet. Wouldn't it be great to have someone like that in your life? Not a friend who will run away, but a friend in Jesus who who will allow us to lay down our cares, lay down our burdens at his feet every day. We see in 1 Peter 5, 7, this, give all your worries to him because he cares about you. Some of your worries, only your worries on Sundays, No, all your worries, why? Because he cares about you. And he's not gonna trick you. He's not gonna start making a list and uh, checking the things, oh, you did this, you did this. No, he wants to know your worries so you can lay them down because of his great care and love for you. See, it's not about religion. It's about relationship. It's not about rules. It's about knowing a God who loves you so much That he sent his son Jesus to this earth to pay for your sins, to allow you to have relationship with our great God. So let's look at humility, because that would take humility for sure. This is selflessness. And again, Jesus is our best example here. I've learned that religious people can be uh, very arrogant and rude at times, to be honest. Did you know that pride and and self-centeredness actually describes the devil more than it does Jesus? Yikes. And in fact, the very things that turn people off from attending a church are usually when church going people don't resemble Jesus. So, do, do you resemble Jesus? Or do you need some remedial learning here in order to examine the, the character and live out the character and nature and attitude of Jesus? I always think about this. Remember, who was attracted to Jesus? The hurting? the lost, the broken, the confused, and the needy. So if those are the people who were attracted to Jesus because of his character and his nature, those same people ought to be attracted to me, right? Not repelled by me. So in your life, who are you attracting and who are your arms open to? Are you caring for the same people that Jesus would care for? It doesn't mean that you have to spend every moment with them, but are you open to people and welcoming to people in the same way that Jesus is? Perhaps you need a Jesus test. Well, what is that? Go home, stand in front of the mirror, and ask the Lord, do I look like Jesus or do I look like something else? Anywhere that you look like something else are the areas in your life that need to be shaved off and surrendered at the cross. I know that's a challenging test, but I want to encourage you to do it because the great thing is Jesus is gentle. He's humble, and so he will allow you to lay those things down if you come to him with a sincere heart. Lord, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm prideful. I, I I this. I'm that. Lay those things down, and he will take them, and he will make you more like him, and you'll put his yoke on to your shoulders, and you'll learn from him. One day, a man went to see a farmer who was plowing his field with a team of oxen. This man noticed that one of the animals was seemingly bigger than the others, and he asked him about it. And the response from this farmer to the man was very interesting. He said this. He said, the big animal is older, was well-trained. He was better than the smaller, young animal who was new to the yoke. The man went on to inquire, well, why would you put them together? And the farmer said this. He said, well, you see, here's why. The older ox is the best ox I've ever had, and he knows his way around the field. And the reason I put the younger one with him is the older one is is more knowledgeable, and he can teach him how to plow. He said, if I never put that younger one with him, he would never learn. In fact, by himself, the younger ox would pull himself to death. But together, he learns to cooperate with and rest in the strength of the older ox. Just a question for you. Does your life feel like the ox who's pulling himself to death? Under the heavy burden, you're pulling yourself to death. Rest comes from obedience to slow down. Come to me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Well, as the band makes their way up here, I want to close with this story. Growing up in Texas, I played Little League. Any uh, Little League parents in here, your family members are involved? Yeah, there's a few of us here. And my dad was our coach. And in this particular game, I had hit uh, a nice shot out into the outfield. It didn't happen very often, but it happened in this game. And it made it out in the outfield, and I was rounding second base, which was a, a, a big deal for me because I was super slow. And, and my dad was coaching third base. Now, those of you involved in Little League or baseball of any, any sort, you know the responsibility of a third base coach is to what? Their responsibility is to watch the ball and the runner's job is to watch the base and watch the coach. So you know if you're stopping at third base or you're going to round third base and, and head on to home and score, right? All right, so I gotta tell you something. In Texas, we have a few different words for stop. And one of them just happens to be the word, whoa, whoa. Now, what rhymes with whoa? Go. And you can see where this is heading. With my ears cramped into that little league baseball helmet and in the moment of the adrenaline rush of hitting a shot out into the field and running around first and being exhausted and hitting second and and going up that way and, and hearing my dad, the third base coach, who was really saying, whoa, whoa. And I heard him say, Go, go. So I put on the jets and I was running. I rounded third base. I wasn't even watching the play. And wouldn't you know it, I was actually thrown out at home by 10 feet. (laughs) Trying to win, trying to score the go-ahead run for our team. All because my third base coach was really saying, whoa, and I heard him say go. You know, in our lives, we can actually be tagged out of life. When we confuse the words of our life coach, Jesus, he's really saying, whoa, he's saying stop. But what we hear in our busy, hectic lives is go, go, go. And then it comes to a point and we're tagged out and we wonder why. Can I encourage you to be completely in tune with the coach of your life, to listen to what he has to say today, to evaluate it clearly and to know that it is possible to slow in a world of go by coming to Jesus, taking his yoke upon us and learning from him. Now you guys have been filling those blue pages all over this room during this message. In fact, some people are asking for more pens, more pages, you're filling them up. I wanna encourage you as we sing this closing song in just a minute to continue to fill those out. And if you need more, we'll get you one. And we're gonna close this service after this song by releasing those and letting those go. So if you will, stand up with me and let's pray. Lord, I pray today that we'll learn to slow down, help us to rest. I pray for my friends in this room who need to lay down the things that make them tired, the things that make them weary. For those of us that have tried to balance the scales of good deeds and bad deeds by running this spiritual rat race, help us to get right with you, Jesus, by realizing that you and you alone will cover our sins. Help us to take up your yoke and know that it's not burdensome. Help us to learn from you. Jesus, help us to slow in a world of go. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's sing together.